What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Angle of Pursuit podcast, your fantasy football home over at fakepigskin.com. I'm your host, Kyle Robert. You follow me on Twitter at NotoriousKRO. With me, as always, is Brian Twining. What's up, Brian? Hey, Kyle. I'm still still crying over here about Andrew Luck retiring, but looking forward to some of these Colts offering a little more value in DFS. Yeah. Uh, so if you missed our pod, we did talk a bunch of Andrew Luck. We talked uh, some Lamar Miller and what to do with the Texans, and then we even hit on Carolina a little bit. Uh, so if you missed that episode, make sure you go back and check it out. But uh, as Brian alluded to, tonight we are going to talk DFS. Uh, this is kind of your DFS primer to get you ready if you haven't played before, or if you have and, and you're looking for some you know, some ideas on, on how to be more successful on a regular basis. Uh, and with me, with us tonight is Ben Cummins. You follow him at Ben Cummins FF on Twitter. Uh, you read his work over at the fantasy footballers behind their uh, DFS pass. Uh, it's Ben. What's up, Ben? What is going on, guys? Brian, thank you for bringing that up because I still need counseling and I appreciate the opportunity to come on here uh, and talk some football and talk some DFS, my passion to try to forget that the great Andrew Luck is no longer in the NFL. Great coping mechanism. Absolutely. Uh, We got lots to talk about tonight. Uh, Ben is a great mind, so if you're not following him and reading his work, you're you're definitely missing out. It's always a a fun time talking to you. But uh, So I I guess, Ben... You've been playing, you've been, you know, for a while, you've been successful. Um, Do you have one strategy or one tip that you, you know, if I'm a novice DFS player or I've never really played, but I kind of want to dive in, like, what's the biggest thing you've learned since you started playing? Oh man, um, I could probably talk for days. Uh, there's so much, um, which is why I love it. It's you get to put the pieces of the puzzle together every single week. Um, If you asked me for one overarching theme. The first thing that I would throw out at you is just the fact that running backs control every slate. And, you know, we had the, you know, the fad of zero RB, which kind of, um, you know, bled and continues to bleed into DFS where, you know, there's a, there's a thought process in, in GPPs and trying to take down tournaments that, you know, we want to predict, especially because these are, um, almost all exclusively full PPR, um, or at least PPR to a certain extent websites that, um, you know, we're looking for those contrarian wide receivers to hit and that can take us over the top. And that's certainly true. But at the end of the day, the foundation to me of every single lineup, and this has helped me a lot. And it's also hurt me when I've tried to steer away from this and kind of get cute with pass catching running backs and pay up at wide receiver, Um, it's just not a, it's just not a very great, like philosophy to always attack those high end wide receivers. Um, obviously if you're making multiple teams and you're playing in more tournaments, you know, you want to differentiate your exposure, but at the end of the day, the solid foundation is always going to be those running backs just simply because they see more opportunities per game. Um, They just see more chances, especially when we're talking about these bell cows, which are pretty easy to predict because they are, um, you know, always involved in not only the running game, but also the receiving game that increases their chances of scoring touchdowns because they're involved in multiple phases. And it also 
um, increases their ability to not get game scripted out of games as long as, you know, we, we understand which guys are dual threats. So, um, yeah, and, and this doesn't have to mean that you have to pay up every single time because we know at the running back position, there's injuries that are going to happen. There are going to be guys that are mispriced. I'm looking at Chris Carson in week one, cake matchup against the Bengals. There's always going mm-hmm. to be these situations where, we don't. We're not saying that you have to pay up for the the top guys. We're saying that you want to look at the situations and determine which ones are, are in really good spots and kind of start your lineup from there. That is kind of my number one philosophy. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And as someone, you know, I I'm traditionally a wide receiver heavy start uh, for most of my season long leagues. Um, but you know, in DFS, I found that when I lean heavy with my wide receivers and kind of take some question marks at running back, um, I don't, I'm not as successful as when I, when I load up on those studs and I, you know, that's, that was definitely a big challenge for me when I started playing DFS versus now where, you know, I'm, I'm a little more, you know, running back leaning and, and especially as you mentioned, those bell cows that are going to get that volume that are going to get that work, especially if they can be involved in the passing game. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to be in there. So if they're up, uh, the team's up, they're obviously going to get a ton of work running the ball. If the team's down, they're still going to be game, you know, be able opportunity for them to, to, you know, be fantasy relevant and, and score a ton of points and, and not get game scripted out, as you mentioned. So, um, I think that is a ton of makes a ton of sense. Uh, Brian, what about you? What, is there something that as you started playing DFS, something that um, kind of popped out to you is that you would kind of mention to a, a new player? So I, I definitely fall under the novice category as I, I, I barely dip my toes into the DFS world. But I will say uh, I do kind of follow Ben's advice there. Like I always try to pick pick out at least one like stud running back who just has this super cake matchup that you know he's going to be fed the ball a lot. Like uh, last year, I I was choosing Zeke a lot or Alvin Kamara just because you knew, as you guys alluded to, that there was didn't matter what the score of the game was, he was going to be involved no matter what. Um, piggybacking off mm-hmm. of that, I did want to ask Ben, making your roster and having the salary uh, cap, do you always choose your – high-end stud RB first, or do you try to build your roster and then pick the running back that will fit your remaining salary? Yeah, so correlating with um, kind of just saying that running backs control every slate, um, because I am working off of that principle, that's where I'm starting. Now, of course, there's going to be weeks where, oh my gosh, um, you know, Baker Mayfield is going ham this year, which I think is going to happen. And um, Odell Beckham is going nuts, my boy. And oh mm-hmm. my gosh, they're playing the the Cardinals who have no cornerbacks. Like I want to, I want that to be a foundation piece of my roster. Um, so, you know, that every slate, every single um, week, like I said, and, and as we know and why we're so obsessed are, are a new puzzle with pieces to put together. But at the end of the day, yes, I am starting at the running back position. And that gives me basically an understanding of how much more I have to work off of because I have no problem going cheaper at the onesie positions, quarterback and tight end. Now, obviously, if you can pay up, because of situations like an affordable Chris Carson in week one, and we always get some, um, you know, 
uh, affordable players in week one that shouldn't be. I remember Emmanuel Sanders being five G's on, on DraftKings last year. And um, obviously James Conner was, was affordable with the Le'Veon Bell situation. But it usually is the case where we can find some of those value guys throughout each each and every week. And so, you know, if you can pay up there, the better. But if I am, because like you, you said, Brian, like playing Zeke, the second half of the year, playing Gurley the first half of the year, and then it kind of swapped to Zeke a little bit the second half of the year. You were just printing money, especially in cash, because, you know, going back to the philosophy, um, especially in cash, if you can just find average to even below average receivers, but you have Zeke putting up 35 and you have Christian McCaffrey giving you 30, you're going to finish in the money. Obviously, tournaments are a little bit different because you want higher upside at all positions. But at the end of the day, I'm starting at running back. I'm figuring out how much more money I have to spend. And granted, if I think that um, Zeke and McCaffrey are the two most expensive running backs on the slate and they can't miss guys... Um, but at the end of the day, I can't make a full lineup that I love. Now that's the fun of putting the pieces, the pieces of the puzzle together. And I have to reevaluate, uh, because at the end of the day, another one of my, um, kind of foundation pieces that I like to talk about is, um, you want to study the landscape at every position. And just because you think Zeke and McCaffrey are going to go off, if they each cost, because we know as the running backs continue to ball out and get more opportunities, their prices can stretch up to the $10,000 range, which can be tough to afford. So if you can, you know they're going to ball out, but yet we have a Chris Carson that's maybe closer to like 6000 now you're starting to decide, well is Chris Carson, who maybe scores a little bit less than McCaffrey, but he's $4,000 cheaper, is that supply and demand, is that that risk versus reward in terms of the cost worth it? And that's the fun of putting it all together. But yes, long story longer, I started the running back position and now I'm working off of um, how much more I have to spend after that. Yeah. And I think that makes a ton of sense and, and kind of um, I think is going to blend into what you, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit before, but um, tell everybody kind of your, your general strategy about how you approach each week. Cause um, I think it's something that makes a lot of sense and um, you know, helps you avoid some of the pitfalls that you see um, when you're setting your lineups. Yeah. So, I mean, and then another thing that we kind of talked about, which correlates with um Meek trying to kind of analyze each position and kind of write down the guys personally, you know, whether you're writing it in a notebook on your phone or you're just thinking out loud, like kind of ranking the guys that you really like and then comparing the salaries. Well, the other thing I like to do is I like to kind of guess. And obviously the more you play and you more you get comfortable with the site, I'm mainly a DraftKings player and I definitely try to mix it up a little bit, but I'm just comfortable with that format. I've had some success there. So I'm, I'm generally able to predict to a certain extent how much these guys are going to cost. And so I like to, um, and you don't have to do it for every player, but if you, if you can kind of get like um, 10 guys at each position that you're interested in and predict to their salary, then at that point, go and look at what they actually cost because now you've made decisions for yourself. You've decided guys that you like, and you've decided what you think they should cost or where they should be around. And it allows you to find value because if I think Chris Carson, and I'm going to keep using him because he's mm-hmm. such a good play in week one, if I think he should cost 7,400, but I, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you guys know specifically what his DraftKings salary is. 
is offhand, but if he's 6,400 and that's a thousand dollar difference, I mean, not only do I like him, but now the price is telling me it's a twofer and I want to play him. So it's all about the process for me um, as the week goes on. And that's what's fun is because we get the whole week to determine, we get to see the updated information. And it's fun because you might be on a guy Tuesday morning that you'll never want to get off of, but then Saturday night, you'll have a revelation of another guy you want to play on that same lineup and they both end up working out well together. But it's ultimately um, trying to drown out the noise. Obviously, um, you know, listening to others, people's thoughts are helpful, especially in tournaments, because you want to know where um, the exposure points are going to be and who's going to be highly owned and who is your kind of unique play. But at the end of the day, it is easy to give in to groupthink. I mean, we're all part of fantasy Twitter. We all kind of want to, um, you know, celebrate together when we're on the same guy. But at the same time, it's it's hard because it's easy, at least for me, maybe there's other people that are a little bit better at being contrarian. It's easy for me to kind of um, give into the sheet mentality of I'm going to think the same way everybody else is. So I like to rank my players. I like to check the salaries. And that's ultimately a big part of how I'm formulating my lineup. Well, I got good news for you, Ben. I think you're going to have a lot of Chris Carson uh, in week one because he's only 5,700 on uh, the first week's late. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. absolutely criminal. Um, and that's yeah. what we're talking about. You can play a stud running back like that and still have salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you're saving 3,500 uh, from Zeke. You're saving you know, 3,000 from, from Barkley. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that kind of helps is – you, you make a list of those guys and you go, oh, okay, uh, well, a bunch of these guys are all, you know, above 7,500, but one guy stands out that I was happy to have in that group um, and I'm saving 1,500 bucks and, you know, making it work. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Now, what about, um, you know, outside sources, not necessarily fantasy? Like, do you use things like Vegas odds when you're kind of looking at, players you might want to target for the week? Yes. And that's kind of some of the other principles. Um, I talked about studying the landscape, running backs. Um, obviously, because this is daily and we're, we're betting on guys for one week, that's why we're looking at the volume and we're looking at running backs. But also matchups mean a lot. So there's mm-hmm. multiple ways you can look at that. Um, Vegas line, because it's not only matchups, but it's also spots. So in general, I like to play guys at home, especially if they're favored. That's always something that I lean towards. Um, But at the end of the day, I also like um, good fantasy games, whether it's, and I'm leaning on the Seahawks because I think at home against a terrible Bengals team, you know, you always want to be on the lookout for the domination bonanza where the team can just go absolutely bonkers. And I hate that Evan Silva on the most recent uh, established the run pod throughout there. How about a Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, and Tyler Lockett stack together? Because I think that that's something in mm-hmm. tournaments that people don't really think about because, oh, I can't play all of them because there's a negative correlation. But if the Seahawks just go bonkers and and score 42 points, which I think is possible against this terrible team, especially because we know that um, the Bengals offense probably isn't going to move the ball that much without A.J. Green and multiple offensive linemen missing in things like this. Um, that's something that you want to be on the lookout for, as well as just fantasy games that can shoot out. And obviously, you've got 49ers at Buccaneers, which I think everybody's going to be intrigued about. But that's something you always want to pay attention to. And Vegas lines... Um, over-unders, 
all of those things can and can shine some light into certain situations. At the same time, I think it's obvious, especially for us fanatics, to kind of know when something like that's going to happen. Like, I don't need a Vegas line to know that Jimmy G and Jameis and two defenses that aren't that good, this can be a shootout game. So I'm always looking for that. And then specifically with um, statistics, I like to dive deeper into not only how are the offenses doing with the players that I'm playing, but also um, what are the what are the defensive matchups? Because it's not necessarily always going to paint the best picture, but at the extremes, we generally want to avoid the best defenses and we generally want to attack the worst. And so um, I'm looking at pass DVOA, run DVOA, passing yards allowed per game, and those top five to 10 defenses that are our worst, especially as we gather more data and the season goes on. Um, you know, we knew last year we wanted mm-hmm. to attack the Falcons defense overall, especially with running backs. Um, we knew that we wanted to attack different um, secondaries because they had nobody, like I said, with the Cardinals um, early in the season because they're not a very good team. They're going to play fast on offense, and they don't have any cornerbacks. So there's certain situations like that that the yeah. numbers can help illuminate who we want to attack as well. Yeah, and I think you know the, you brought up a few good points I want to hit on. First, the, the Seahawks I think is interesting because you know people can look at that matchup and think, oh yeah, the Seahawks are going to crush them. You know, this is going to be a great game for Chris Carson, which obviously it is. But if the Seahawks are going to get up big and and they're going to you know score a ton of points, it's not all going to be Chris Carson. Russell Wilson's going to be involved. Uh, some of the pass catchers are going to be involved. I think it's really easy, and I'm I'm a victim of this a lot is riding off a, a, a receiver because I think the team is going to is going to you know get up really big and and run a lot, which they will, but they have to get up big first. So you can't write off that receiver as a guy who can't score right. points because um, you expect a blowout. Right. Yeah. Um, so Brian, I want to get your thoughts on kind of um, like, like when you play, uh, do you tend to try and find ways to stack players or do you, uh, you know, uh, whether it's a quarterback and a receiver or a running back and a defense, do you, do you tend to like kind of, figure out matchups that make sense and as you're or do you kind of just start building your lineup and go oh I like this player I like this player and if it ends if you end up having a couple of the guys from the same team um you you're you're you know you're not upset about it so uh, traditionally for me the way I've always kind of done it to kind of maximize the amount of money I have for for the skill positions is I've always tried to pick the cheapest defense possible that has a good matchup mm-hmm. first. I, that's probably not the best way to go about doing this, but I, I don't. I feel like the defense doesn't really help me very much. But I could be completely off base there. But then I do. I tend to look at running backs who have potentially good game game flow. So if a team is going to be up big, like I, I monitor the spreads a lot. I'm a, a pretty uh, substantially heavy gambler on the weekends. Um, <laughs> I do look at the lines a lot, and if a team is favored big and there's a running back who's a good value who I think is going to be running the ball a lot, I tend to try to put them in there. And as far as the stacking goes, I uh, I do traditionally try to pick a, a quarterback that and then go for one of his wide receivers if I think that quarterback is going to have a really good day because he has to throw to somebody. And I'm just hoping I'm picking the right receiver from his team, whether it be – Jameis Winston and trying to pick the cheaper Chris Godwin or 
matching him with Mike Evans as number one target. But um, I, I do yeah. definitely try to stack quarterback and wide receiver. I also kind of get trapped into looking at the players and thinking, okay, this guy's going to be really heavily owned. So in order for me to try to get like a leg up on somebody, maybe I should steer steer clear of this guy with a good matchup and pick the guy with the next best matchup. Yeah. And I, and I want to talk GPPs versus cash. Cause I think, um, you know, in, in tournaments, obviously you want to kind of have that philosophy, but in cash, sometimes it's more important to have the guy that everybody owns, especially if you think he's in a good matchup. Cause then you're not, you know, if that player goes off and you don't have him in your lineup, you're pretty much yeah. uh shit out of luck. So, uh, but so the, uh, in terms of stacking, there's a couple things I like to target. Um, I like, I like to find a defense. I like, like you mentioned, especially if I, I feel like the game's going to. Uh, be well in hand and then I pair him with a running back so like for week one uh, you know back to the Seattle um, I think Seattle and Chris Carson could be a really nice combo uh, where you where you get Seattle and then you know at 3100 and then you put Chris Carson in there as a okay I expect this game to you know the Seattle to play really well I expect their defense to make some turnovers and Andy Dalton with that awful offensive line and then Chris Carson just to run the ball like crazy. Um, I also like to like, not only like you mentioned, Brian, use the quarterback receiver, but um, I like to use a, a stud receiver from the other side and, and especially in games with high over unders. So like for week one, I'm looking at Jimmy Garoppolo and either, you know, Marquise Goodwin or George Kittle, and then using a bucks receiver, whether it's Godwin or Evans um, and, and kind of, you know, expect, try and get some exposure to the other offense. Uh, ben, is there any other, off, uh, any other stacking opportunities that you've found, um, playing DFS? Um, I think you guys hit on a lot of the good ones there. Um, it's, it's really just trying to find a way to be somewhat contrarian with your stack and, and your lineup. And, um, that's kind of why I started with running back as a foundation because, because they're so predictable, like you can have two running backs that go off at 40% owned. And yeah, that's not going to help you win a tournament really, but it's going to put you in position to win a tournament because now whoever doesn't have those lineups are kind of screwed. And now you're just Mm -hmm. down to, can you get the, the other seven guys, right? Which are the tougher predictions to get. So like, let's start with our foundation and now let's work from there. We know we don't have a contrarian lineup yet. Um, and that's obviously the difference between cash and tournaments. We don't care about who we're playing in cash at all. Um, we just want a solid lineup that is going to be top 50-ish percentile, and, and that's it. Uh, tournaments, we care a million percent about who we're playing uh, because especially with a lot of these sites being so top-heavy, um, we want to finish first so we can brag, we can post the screenshot, we can uh, make it rain, we can do all that stuff. Like That's why we play DFS, right? So um, we're trying to get first place, and if we're trying to get yeah. first place, you cannot play scared. You have to play for first. This is something I constantly have to remind myself about because it's easy to look at somebody oh Deshaun Jackson I don't know maybe he'll have one catch for 11 yards yeah but if he has six for 140 and two touchdowns you're you're in business so that's where we can get contrarian is at the wide receiver position you don't have to play in today's game in today's passing league you don't have to play the wide receiver one with your quarterback you don't even have to play the wide receiver two you don't even have to play any receivers you can play a pass catching running back you can play a tight end which is always something that's a little contrarian and then obviously you just hit on it the 
um, in, in, in good situations where they're favored, especially if they're at home, like we know the Seahawks are, um, the Seahawks defense and Chris Carson, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, those are your stacks. But yeah, you hit on the more contrarian one, which is kind of what I alluded to earlier when it's like, if you find a game that you like and you think is going to be fantasy friendly, it, it's even better if you like it and Vegas isn't necessarily on it and all of Twitter isn't necessarily on it. Um, I usually see games like that that can fall a little bit under the radar. I don't necessarily have one of those in week one, although I think the Rams and Panthers is a little bit sneaky. Um, Chiefs Jaguars, another one because the Jaguars are at home and I like the Jaguars offense as an upgrade because I believe Nick Foles is a big upgrade over Blake Bortles, though they will no longer have to hide their quarterback and they obviously won't have an opportunity to hide their quarterback in this game because they'll have to keep up with the Chiefs. So there's always those types of games. And if you can find something like that, like, you know what? I love D.D. Westbrook. Let me just play Foles because he's cheap. He'll be low owned. And then let me run it back with Ty. Tyreek on the other side because it gives me exposure to Patrick Mahomes, but it gives me exposure that I can afford while giving me a contrarian wide receiver that can help me win. So those are all different types of thought processes. But at the end of the day, as long as you're thinking stacking and you don't have to force it, let it let it come to you, let it feel good. But if you can find a stack that you like, that is allowing to yourself to differentiate your lineup, even if you have some guys that are you know are going to be high-owned. You don't have to have nine total guys that are 5% owned or less. You really only need like one to two of those guys to really help put your lineup over the top if all else hits. And that's what I was going to ask. If you're when you know you want to be different, obviously, and you want to have you know, some unique pieces that that can help you take down the Millie maker, help you take down these big tournaments. But, you know, how different do you want to be? Because you don't want to play a bunch of these wild cards, right? You want to find one or right. one or two or maybe three that you're really excited about and then play your studs around. Them. 100%. And the easiest way to do it is at wide receiver. Uh, and it goes back. It's the yeah. same conversation about running backs, but just the opposite. Running backs are so easy to predict because they get so many opportunities. Well, pass catchers are really tough to predict. Um, and they just inherently, like, first of all, fantasy football, football in general, um, is high, gives into high variance, right? Like we see the Patriots getting stomped by the Lions last year in like week three, and they win the Super Bowl. We saw the Patriots get stomped by the Chiefs. Uh, on primetime a couple of years ago, everybody pronounced them dead. They win the Super Bowl. Um, and, and that's just one regular example. When we look at receivers who generally only see about seven to eight to nine to 10 or 11, if you're extremely the best in the game, um, targets per week, that's just not that many opportunities. And because of that, um, the variance is going to be extreme. Maybe they the receiver drops one, maybe they're wide open, but the quarterback just barely misses them. Maybe they could have thrown the touchdown, but they get sacked and don't get a chance to throw it. Maybe they just totally miss them. Maybe the cornerback makes a really good play and knocks the ball down. Um, or maybe none of those things happen. And this is the week where your receiver goes off. So that is why my process is always looking at what are the, my favorable spots because that can kind of highlight and shine a light on some of these guys that can be contrarian plays if the offense does what I think they're going to do, uh, particularly at the wide receiver position where we can get some guys at really low ownership percentage. So um, one of the spots that 
I really love because, like I said, I like to determine what teams do I think have a chance to go off, especially at home. Uh, the Eagles are at home. We all think they're one of the best offenses and teams in the league, and they're playing against the Redskins, who are one of the most incompetent franchises we've seen in for however long. They're starting um, Case Keenum. Their defense is terrible. <laughs> so a Carson Wentz stack really intrigues me. Alshon Jeffrey He's contrarian because we're all kind of met on him. Deshaun Jackson's contrarian because a lot of people will want to wait to see. First of all, he's tough to predict anyways, and now he's back on a new team. Granted, he's been there before, but still, people early in the season like to kind of be cautious, even in tournaments, which is what you should not be doing um, for players on new teams. So that makes me like guys like Deshaun Jackson as well. You look at the Cowboys, I think they're in a very good spot at home against the Giants. I think I alluded to this earlier, but that makes me really intrigued for a guy like Michael Gallup. You got Amari Cooper, potentially not 100%. Gallup was pretty good last year at limited opportunities. Year two, he can make the leap. He's talented. Like these are the types of uh, this is the type of thought process that I'm generally looking for. Rashard Higgins should be in on 60 to 70% of the plays um, with Antonio Callaway suspended. I think Baker goes off. I think they have a favorable matchup at home against the Titans. Um, so there's all types of opportunities like this. You said it earlier, Marquise Goodwin. What? How could we play Marquise Goodwin? We don't even know how much he's going to play, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, we know he's a guy that has two huge games in him every single year. We've got a lot of question marks uh, in this pass catching core right now. I, we could see a situation where Goodwin loses snaps as the year goes on, but right now he's in there in the preseason as a starting guy. He'll be out there and he's playing in a matchup against a terrible Buccaneers secondary and probably the best fantasy game of the whole Week. So that's why you end up on a guy like Marquise Goodwin. I did this in week one last year because I was jamming Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and James Conner and guys like that onto my team. And this is the exact same thought process that led me to guys like Philip Dorsett. In week one, it was like the same thought process as Marquise Goodwin. Like, what? How can you play Philip Dorsett? Well, he's a starter right now on the Patriots. The Patriots have a good matchup. He ended up having a good game, catching a touchdown, and really helped me not only be contrarian, but it allowed me to roster all the other studs as well. And that's the beauty of these cheap receivers, these cheap defenses. I really like what you said, Brian. That's something I'm always trying to do because not only are these guys affordable that allow you to get the studs, but they're also generally going to be low owned because it goes goes back to what I said earlier, people will let the prices dictate what they think and they'll go down and be like, oh, I really want to play Michael Gallup, but oh, he's $3,400. He's too cheap. DraftKings doesn't respect him. Why should I? That's exactly why you should pounce because you want to be on the guy's that are priced at $3,400 that a week or two weeks from now are going to be $2,000 more expensive. And you were able to get in um, not only while they were so cheap, but before everybody else caught on. Yeah. No, I think – and those are some great points. And let's kind of use this as our jumping off point to to look into week one because there's uh, five games that are going to be basically 50 points uh, or higher with their total. Bucks Bucks, Niners, which is obviously going to be a a big one for DFS. Uh, Your Panthers-Rams is in there, and I think that is going to be a little sneaky because I think it's going to get lost in the mix. We got we got Pat Steelers, we got Saints Texans, the Jags and Chiefs is interesting. I think obviously people will be all over the Chiefs, but I think having a little bit of Jacksonville exposure is definitely going to be interesting. Um, 
Brian, out of all those matchups, is there one that stands out as one that you think you'll be attacking come week one? I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm going to have to choose the San Francisco at Tampa game cause just for the fact that Tampa Bay is going to show a new new style offense under Bruce Arians. They're going to be throwing the ball all over the field. Jimmy G looked great in his last preseason game, and I think the Niners are going to be right in there with that offense that Kyle Shanahan likes to run, running those little deep digs and those deep posts. And I think Marquis Goodwin is a great guy to talk up right now because Dante Pettis just landed on the injury report with a, I believe it was a groin. So, I mean, that's just going to lead into more playing time for the deep threat. Yeah, for sure. And and for me, um, you know, it's funny because like everyone's talked about how many interceptions Jimmy G's throwing in practice and didn't look great against Denver and everyone's going to be off him and they're going to be all over Jameis. And, um, and, and we'll talk about Jameis here in a second because he's the second most expensive quarterback now that Andrew Luck has retired uh, in the week one slate, which which is a little aggressive, I think, but is, is interesting. But yeah, I think there could be value with Jimmy Garoppolo on the road. Um, and, and, you know, in this matchup for sure. Uh, ben, what about low totals? You know, I'm looking at Denver. I'm looking at the, the Dolphins and Ravens, I'm looking at the Jets and Bills. Both their totals are under 40. Um, are these just cross-off games for you? Or do you think there's value to be had in, in games with lower totals? Yeah, so um, overall, they're cross-off games. Um, now, it depends on what slate you're playing. And there's a million different opportunities. God love um, DraftKings and God love FanDuel and, and all of these opportunities. Um, I, Obviously, if you're playing showdown or primetime slate, like you have no choice. Those are your games. Um, if you're playing early, especially if yeah. you're playing in the afternoon slate, which is always kind of fun, you really don't have a choice. But mainly when we talk about this, we're talking about the main slate, which um, nowadays does not include Thursday Night Football and it doesn't include the primetime games, but it is all of your um, early starts, your noon or one o'clock, and then your, your afternoon. And so we're generally looking at like, I don't know. Let's for week one, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, great podcasting there by Ben. Good job. Good job, me. 12, 12 games, <laughs> literally 12 games. So we have 24 teams that we can choose from. Like there's, there's, there's too much. And yeah. so we have to simplify things to a certain extent. And I think that this is another way that you can gain an advantage over some of your competitors because your competitors aren't going to put in the time. Um, they might not have the time. They might be busy. They might just want to have some fun uh, come Sunday morning, pull up DraftKings or FanDuel and just click on players. Well, if they're doing that, they're not really analyzing games and situations and they might um, throw themselves, give themselves exposure to just bad offenses and low totals and things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, Bills, Jets, um, like you said, the the Ravens at Dolphins, like the Ravens are intriguing to me uh, because I, I am on board with the Lamar Jackson hype in terms of what he can bring to the table and the fact that they want to run the ball and I think they'll find success and they can do it against a bad Dolphins team. Problem is they're on the road. I would be more intrigued if they were at home. But yeah, situations like this, like I'm just really not even considering those guys. Now, the one except those teams, I should say, the one exception to that is I'm always going to analyze the stud running back. So like, I, you know, Le'Veon Bell is on my spreadsheet because he's Le'Veon Bell. But at the same time, not a great matchup. Haven't seen him in over a year. Ty Montgomery is looking good. And there's other options that are better for me at the running back position. So, yes, 
Um, for the most part, those are scratch off games because let's get to the good stuff and let's analyze the 49ers of the world. Let's analyze the Vikings at home against the Falcons. Um, I think the Eagles are interesting mm-hmm. because I think everybody knows, like I said earlier, that they're in a smash spot, but it's like, you know, listen to all the analysis all off season. That's correct. Like just go with Wentz because then you don't have to worry about, is it going to be Alshon? Is it going to be um, Deshaun? Is it going to be Aguilar? Is it going to be Ertz? Is it going to be um, uh, Miles Sanders? Is it going to be Dallas Goddard? Is it going to be JJRC? Whiteside? We don't really know. Yeah. Well, because of that, people will shy away in tournaments and, that's why it makes sense to stack Wentz with one or even two of these pass catchers because I think he's in a situation where he could be the overall quarterback one in week one. Um, and another spot that I really like that I haven't really touched on is the Browns um, because I'm all in on the Browns. And I think the, the the most exciting thing to me here is playing Nick Chubb because – you know, there's the thought of Kareem Hunt coming back and Duke Johnson was on the team. Well, neither of those are a concern in week one. Duke Johnson's gone. Kareem Hunt won't be there. The uh, Browns are at home, which I always love. The Titans are an okay team, which I think may, you know, make people kind of think, um, you know, do I want to go all in here or play a ton of guys here or even play Nick Chubb here with all the other options um, because the Titans are okay. But like, that's the thing. Like the Titans are meh at best. Their run defense was average last year and I think that their offense struggling with Mariota just at this point we just have to accept that he's not good and the Browns defense is pretty solid um so because of that the Browns at home should win this game Nick Chubb should touch the ball I mean a million times I mean he averaged 20.4 opportunities over the last 10 games last year once Hyde was gone that would have ranked ninth in the entire league if he did that over the full season and yeah there's concerns that he won't be able to do that over the full season this year but again we have no concerns about that at all in week one and the thing about it is that's really exciting is this dude should get more targets this year and he's a capable and and actually good pass catcher um in my opinion there's even one game i believe it was ian harditz who's doing amazing work tweeted it out there's one game where he literally um i'm not even sure if they ended up ruling it complete or not but he caught the ball over the back of a defender and held on to it while the defender tackled him into the end zone it bobbled a little bit that's why i'm not sure which way they um they uh ruled it but at the end of the day the fact that he even did that like this dude is a good player in all phases of the game they can throw him a screen pass and he can take take it 80 yards for a touchdown but anyways i need to calm down because i love nick chubb this year but i really like him a lot in week one as well and a part of that is the top-down approach of i love the browns and yeah make a baker and odell stack um you know there's plenty of opportunities there but Whereas with the Eagles, we really have no running back to play because we know that it's going to be a committee at least early in the season. I don't you know, anticipate Miles Sanders getting a ton of work in week one. That's a guy we want to keep our eyes on. With the Browns, we do have that opportunity to play Nick Chubb. Um, so I'm sure I'll be looking at a lot of teams that have guys like Nick Chubb, Chris Carson, Dalvin Cook. Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette gets me really excited. We talked about that game. Leonard Fournette is catching more passes now. He should not be game scripted. There's no TJ Yeldon. They're at home. The Chiefs were one of the worst run defenses in the league. Granted, that should improve with some solid additions, including Frank Clark. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at a lot of those guys. And then I'm looking at these passing offenses like the Eagles, um, 
Dak is extremely interesting, the Seahawks, etc. And obviously the Buccaneers 49ers game. It's a little scary because uh, there was I've I've been building some lineups, kind of looking towards Week One, and I find myself with a lot of Chris Carson and Nick Chubb. Um, so obviously we've been sharing the same spreadsheets, Ben. So uh, it's either going to go really well or, or really poorly for us, but we'll have to. <laughs> let's get this money, baby. Do it. Uh, let's. I want to talk about some sub six thousand dollar quarterbacks. They're all within a couple hundred bucks. Uh, Dak, as you mentioned, at home versus the Giants. Jimmy G, we talked about your boy Wentz uh, at home versus Washington. Josh Allen at the Jets. Kyler Murray at home versus Detroit, and then Matt. Uh, yeah, and then Kirk Cousins versus Atlanta. Um, if you're if you're picking one of these guys, Brian, who who's the guy that stands out as um, the guy you're you're kind of most excited about in this range. I, I would personally stay away from him just because I hate the Eagles as a Cowboys fan, but it, it would probably be Carson Wentz. Just the guy was the leading MVP candidate before he got injured two years ago, and he he has all the makings for making another mm-hmm. run at MVP this year with all the weapons he has at his disposal. And against the a Redskins team, who, like you guys talked about, is going to be terrible on offense, their defense is in pieces, I could see him being, like Ben said, the QB1 for the week in DFS. And if it wasn't him, it's it's a guy that you and I have both talked yeah. about multiple times, which is Kirk Cousins, who you know Minnesota is going to try to get him more involved with the shorter passing game with a healthy Dalvin Cook now. He still has the two elite wide receivers in Diggs and Thielen. And to me, I think it's kind of asinine that he's at 5,500 just above Matt Stafford, who Stafford normally – we all think he's going to do good, and then he throws zero touchdowns and two interceptions. So I like those two guys as the the top two quarterbacks that I'll be probably having on a lot of rosters for week one. Ben, is there a name that jumps out for you? I know I know you're a big Wentz guy. Um, is, is he your favorite option of this group? Without a doubt, no question. Um, and I, I do like the Kirk Cousins call because I think the from a contrarian mindset, it's like everybody knows they want to run the football. But the question, because that was the one thing that I was kind of asking myself when when, you know, because Dalvin Cook looks to be in the smash spot um, and he should be. And I, I'm in on Dalvin Cook this year. I'm really upset that he had that run in the preseason yeah. uh, because I was already in trying to take him in the second round in literally every draft before that. Um, and he can catch passes too. He's capable. So he should not be game scripted out. But if the Vikings get down, which I think is certainly a possibility, the Falcons are a really good team too. Um, that could mean that they have to throw more and that could end up helping Kirk Cousins a little bit more, especially from a contrarian mindset. The second guy for me, though, because like I said, Carson Wentz is the unquestionable number one. Um, I, I just think Washington is terrible. We, are, we already touched on that. But Dak Prescott would be the second. Dak mm-hmm. just constantly gets it done constantly underrated. I've, I've actually become just such a big fan of him as a player and in fantasy. I mean, he's your perfect cash game quarterback no matter what, but he's definitely has those spike weeks too, where he can be a tournament winner. We saw that with Amari Cooper coming in. Now we obviously want to monitor the health of Amari Cooper, but if he's pretty much all systems go, the reports are favorable and we want to monitor the status of Ezekiel Elliott because I think he'll be back. I think he'll sign a deal seven, six, five, four days before week one, but that's a situation worth monitoring 
because if he's not out there or if he's limited, yes, Tony Pollard's going to be a great play at that point. Um, he's going to be cheap and everyone's going to love him, but they're not just going to, it's not going to be a one to run one to one replacement right away. Now we've seen that with so many running backs and I'm not arguing that. I definitely think that to a certain extent, running backs don't matter. And Tony Pollard will be good because this offensive line, this offense, this scheme, everything makes him better. Dak Prescott would make any running back better. But at the end of the day, that's going to put a little bit more responsibility on Dak Prescott in a meaningful game with a rookie that didn't even uh, wasn't even a workhorse in college in his first NFL game. So because of that, they're going to put more responsibility on Dak's plate. That might mean more chances for him to rush in a touchdown. That might mean more chances for him to get 40 to 50 rushing yards, which he doesn't which he doesn't always do. And it could mean a 300-yard, two-touchdown pass game, one to Amari, one to Michael Gallup, something like that as well, which is always a little bit limited when we know Ezekiel Elliott's out there going ham. Yep, and, and allows you to use that Michael Gallup in tournament. Uh, all sets up for a nice day. And I just got to say, too, I really love your call about Jimmy Garoppolo because I'm a big fan, um, and I'm yeah. not going to let one preseason game of – you know, 10 to 15 snaps, a couple series, um, change that opinion. It's just not going to happen. And so I was, you know, trying to get him where I can in best balls after that. And sure enough, he looks better in the next preseason game. And it doesn't even matter, um, if he's not as good as we ultimately think he is because he's in a Kyle Shanahan offense. And I'm a firm believer of that. And I, I listen, play calling matters so much. And that's a a big reason why I just love football in general. Um, This offense is going to be good. It's going to be top half of the league. I believe it was top half of the league last year with backups. And so Jimmy G's won. And I love what you said that people are going to be on Jameis because the Buccaneers are at home and the 49ers are kind of, where do we go? There's question marks in their passing game. There's question marks in their running game. Everyone wants to question Jimmy Garoppolo. So he gives you an opportunity to be somewhat contrarian in a game that you want exposure to. So he would actually be right there with Dak. And if Zeke comes back, um, that would be a tough choice for me uh, between the two. Yeah. And I, you know, I like to look at Vegas, like we mentioned the over-enders and stuff, but I also looked at coach of the year and comeback player of the year. And that's Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of your favorites right now. Uh, So that Mm. means Vegas on board with them being good this year. And if they're on board, that usually means uh, good things are to come. Um, Brian, let's let's go to your kind of your neck of the woods and let's talk about the Chargers. Obviously, we hit on Pollard a little bit. Uh, obviously, he'll be an auto start if he's the guy. We, I think we're all on board with Zeke playing week one, so it doesn't seem like there's a lot there. But uh, it seems like there's a there's a, a higher likelihood that Melvin Gordon doesn't play week one. If that's the case, are you playing Austin Eckler or Justin Jackson um, against the Colts? You know, honestly, with with where Eckler is compared to Justin Jackson, I like Justin Jackson a little bit more because Eckler is kind of in that five and a half thousand range where Justin Jackson would only cost you four thousand, and you know that they're they're going to be probably splitting carries 50-50, and they 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 kind of showcased Jackson towards the end of last season when Eckler was banged up and they like him down by the goal line. So, I mean, I think he's going to pick up some of those goal line carries, but the one guy that I really do like for the chargers, not just in season long, but in week one is Mike Williams with Keenan Allen still nursing another, another lower body injury. Mm. I think Mike Williams takes that step this year and turns into that elite 
red zone target and that number one wideout that they thought they were getting when they took him in the first round a couple years ago. And I, with the Colts having been down, Phillip Rivers, he's going to want to chuck the ball up. There's no more Antonio Gates. Hunter Henry's still kind of working himself back into the offense. I think Mike Williams for week one will be his favorite target. And he's the guy that I'm, I'm looking at in that game. Yeah, uh, I like uh, I like that call quite a bit, and I'm with you on Jackson. But I've been a Justin Jackson guy like this whole this whole preseason. So you know, getting that cost savings is absolutely um, makes it a no brainer for me. Ben, what about for you? I know Eckler is the better pass catcher, um, and and you kind of want those guys who can kind of be versatile. But um, I think this is a game with Brissett under center that we expect the Chargers to 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 win and probably win somewhat comfortably um uh, is are you going Eckler? are you going jackson or are you potentially having exposure to both yeah they're in an in an extremely interesting spot especially with the luck news um it's you know i i like both guys and i think that's what makes it hard because especially when we're talking about the main slate which is exactly what they're on when you have 24 teams to pick from and you have all these different options i just i can't when my first philosophy of um DFS is to start with the stud running backs and um, things like that. I can't play guys in a committee because that's exactly what this is. I like Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. I like Eckler a lot for fantasy because it's probably going to be more of a um, somewhat like 60-40, 65-35 split. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that's tough because we have Carson, um, whoever is the guy in Dallas, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Damian Williams, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, Saquon Barkley. There's so many guys that we know are the guy. But to your point, I mean, obviously it's contrarian. Obviously it's a good spot. Um, but just for me, again, the way that I play, especially for tournaments, I'm looking to try to get contrarian um, elsewhere at cheap defense, cheap quarterback, and cheap receiver. And so I actually really like what Brian said about Mike Williams because I'm just trying to find those receivers that are going to be slept on um, that people aren't really thinking about. And Mike Williams would fall into that category now. Um, obviously, with Hunter Henry coming back, I think that takes a little bit of the luster away. Um, but he is, you know, one of those guys along with DJX and Michael Gallup and who knows, maybe even Nelson Aguilar. We talked about Pettis and Goodwin. Um, Higgins. I think that Jarvis Landry falls into this category because we want to zoom out and look at the career and not focus on small, smaller sample sizes. And obviously Landry wasn't all that good last year with Baker, which was sad because he was the only show in town. But I think you can make a case for the type of player that Jarvis Landry is. He's always going to be good, but if you give him more space and the, the, the defensive attention goes away from him a little bit with all these other options. He can actually be better, be more efficient with a little bit less opportunity. Now, obviously we've seen him ball out with high volume too. So you're, you know, I'm kind of taking a walk down narrative street with that, but also with that, we're getting a guy that catches passes from, I think already one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he's a, a, a guy that we're not really thinking about anymore because of all the other weapons, but Jarvis Landry's still a guy especially in full ppr and ppr formats that can have big weeks and i fully expect to have big weeks at some time so this would be it like he would fall into that category as well 
Um, yeah, so I just went off the rails, but ultimately, no, I'm not really going to have much Austin Eckler or Justin Jackson at all, just because it doesn't personally fit my process. Even if they're cheaper, that doesn't necessarily matter because I'm trying to go cheap elsewhere. Yeah, and I, I want to hit on one player that you mentioned kind of in that group as, you know, if you're trying to be a little different. And, you know, I think oftentimes we think of, okay, let's find a cheap guy that no one's on. But I think Damian Williams is a, is a great example for week one as a guy who is in an explosive offense that a lot of people are going to target. But I don't think a lot of people will go that way. Right. If you look at where he sits pricing-wise, he's sandwiched between Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, and Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Carrion Johnson. Like, I feel like he's going to kind of get – people are just going to skip over him. You know, they're not going to look that way. And You could still find a stud or a potential stud who's going to get so much volume, uh, and especially if you're a fan. I know Brian and I aren't, aren't quite as optimistic. Uh, but for week one, I wouldn't be shocked if – you know, if Damian Williams ends up having a monster game here um, and and kind of being involved, and we saw his work in the passing game, not only uh, and the running game, so obviously a, th- a true three down back. Um, I, I think that's a nice way to to kind of find a point of difference. Yet, you know, finding a guy who can be a stud. So let's. Uh, before we jump out of here, I, I do want to hit on one defense. Obviously, uh, we we talked about Seattle and how much sense that makes. Uh, but I'm looking at I'm looking at the Chargers with Jacoby Brissett now under center. Um, I you know if we're, even if we don't go you know because we don't know who the running backs are going to be. Um, if if we're not playing Seattle, uh, are the Chargers kind of like a, a no brainer in terms of defense at home versus Jacoby Brissett? Uh, they're certainly a good option. And sorry, I, I, it's getting too late over here. I zoned out. I love what you said about Damian Williams because you can also you can also get contrarian even at running back um, because there's so many guys to pick from. And it doesn't have to be I'm overthinking it with contrarian. It can be guys that still make a ton of sense that get volume and are in good offenses. In his final six games, Damian Williams saw 18.33 opportunities per game. So I absolutely love it. Um, As far as defenses are concerned, that is a good question. Um, I definitely think that the Chargers are one of the best defenses in the league. Now, obviously, the loss of Derwin James hurts them. Um, I am under the belief that – while losing Andrew Luck is a huge, huge um, hit and detriment, that Jacoby Brissett is still um, competent. And we have to remember that he was traded like two days before the season started um, the last time he played. And it was a worse team, a worse offensive line, a worse situation really all over. Um, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, uh, you know, I can't, I don't think anybody can give them enough praise for what they've done. So Brissett is now working off of a better offensive line, um, better running backs. Marlon Mack is more explosive than a 34 year old Frank Gore. Are we um, sure about that? Still have T.Y. Hill. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, you never know. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, a beast. Paris Campbell, when he comes back healthy, um, I'm really sad about that because I was all in on Paris Campbell being a league winner. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore, obviously, but this guy's still very capable. Devin Funches, Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle. So I don't think that um, like in years past, the Colts are going to be a team that I'm just like, oh, yeah, play the defense that's playing against them because I still think they'll be somewhere average in terms of 
kind of where they finish up as an offense. I generally like to look at those games. We talked about those stay away games like Bills, Jets, and Ravens, Dolphins. I generally, because I know for a fact that I don't want any offensive players in those games, I'm generally looking at the defenses, especially if they're at home. So the Jets intrigue me a lot because I do think they're a pretty solid defense. And while Josh Allen can run and get you a lot of points, he also can get sacked and he also can make some terrible decisions. So um, the Jets would be one of my favorites on the entire slate. But again, I'm going to go back to not only the Seahawks, where I think they – they're in a smash spot, um, and we know that we think the Cowboys are. Everybody's talked about yeah. them being a great streaming option in week one against Eli Manning, no Odo Beckham, all, all of that. But I'm going to go back to the Browns. I mean, the Browns um, sacrificed uh, Kevin Zeitler and their offensive line to bring in Olivier Vernon. Uh, Miles Garrett could be the defensive player of the year. I mean, they have a pretty darn good defense. They're at home. And again, um, listen, I – stand for uh, Marcus Mariota for a long time. And I just can't do it anymore. And last year was the first year I was like, you know what? He's just not good. And um, I just think that we have to, at this point, just uh, be realistic with ourselves that Marcus Mariota is not a good football player. And because of that, um, Corey Davis is being held back. They really don't have much else there. Um, And Derrick Henry, they want to ride him. So I love Derrick Henry for, for, for that but that's not an exciting offense. And so the Browns are a defense that highly, highly intrigued me because again, this is going to be a team that wins 10 games, I believe. Um, And if I'm going to, if I'm going to go all in with that thought process, then I might as well start in week one and have the Browns defense win me a lot of money. Yep. And if we're both in on Nick Chubb, I think that the Browns defense makes a ton of sense as well. Um, And Brian, if we want to get cheap at at defense, you know, I know that's kind of where, where this conversation started a while ago, uh, Miami, I, I know, I know the dolphins aren't great, but they're at home. They're facing Lamar Jackson, who like Ben said about Josh Allen, you know, he can run around and get you some fantasy points, but he can also make some bad decisions. The over under is really low. So maybe this is a really low scoring game that even if it doesn't go great for them, they don't force a lot of turnovers. At least they're, you know, don't allow a ton of points to the Ravens offense. Um, and at 2100, basically the cheap, the second cheapest defense on the slate. Um, I, I don't think it's a, a, a horrible play. I don't know. I, I would definitely steer clear of that one there. I'm, is that is that too far for you? Yeah, is that a bridge too far. Yes, I'm I'm a lot higher on Lamar Jackson than you are as well. So that's whether he runs for 200 yards or throws for two and runs for 100 in that game. There there will be some sort of combination of that sorts going on. I I don't know. Just taking a look at the at the prices here and like the matchups. None of those te- none of those teams that fall like underneath that 3,000 mark are really intriguing other than the chargers being at home. But just like uh, Ben said, like, I don't, I also don't think the Colts offense is, is just going to become this anemic thing that we saw two years ago under Chuck Pagano. I, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's still going to be a very serviceable team that is definitely going to give the chargers some problems. I mean, the Vegas moved the line all the way up to a touchdown, but I, to me, I think they're like the best value play of the weekend when it comes to uh, taking a dog because people are sleeping on them immediately after Luck's injury. 
Yeah, no, and I think that's an interesting call, and I think it could be a lot of people end up going with the Chargers because they assume, oh, Brissett's in there, and last time we saw him, he was awful, and this, that, and the third, and then all of a sudden, you know, Brissett, you know, scores 17, 20 points, you know, doesn't really turn the ball over a ton, um, and, and the Chargers aren't really worth what you spent to get them in. Uh, I think the Eagles make a ton of sense, and I think Seattle. Yeah, thank you. I'm sitting here shaking my head over here that the Eagles weren't the first team that came out of my mouth as for for defense. Yeah, no, and and they're I mean they're they're going to cost you they're going to cost you more obviously, uh, but sometimes the the thing with the team at home against uh, a Case Keenum led offense versus a team you know a team that should be down like I I just sometimes the obvious thing is the right play, um, and Philly is going to make a ton of sense as well. Um, okay, Ben, uh, I think we, uh, we covered a lot here. Um, we, we really appreciate you taking some time and hopping by and tell everyone where they can follow you on Twitter and, and check out your work with the footballers and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's at Ben Cummins FF, um, on Twitter and yeah, you can find me, um, writing for the fantasy footballers. I think this is the fourth season now. Um, I should be tweeting out probably tomorrow. I need to get on this now that the third preseason game is over the link to purchase the DFS pass. Um, it's a one-time payment. Um, it's not too expensive at all. Um, and it's going to give you content for, um, I'm writing the showdown slate, the Thursday night showdown slate and the primetime slate. I always loved the shorter slate GPPs mm-hmm. um, where there are less decisions that have to be made the Sunday night and Monday night games. Um, and we brought in a ton of new writers this year um, to um, do a lot of what uh, some of the other articles I was doing, but also to beef it up. Um, so you're going to find a lot of great stuff in there. So um, check that out. Check, I will pin that on my Twitter at some point when I tweet that out. Um, and yeah, guys, I absolutely appreciate it. I mean, obviously I've been coming on and, um, talking with you guys for years and couldn't miss it. And I really appreciate it because, um, kind of like I've alluded to, I am taking a little bit of a step back this year, which is, um, not my favorite thing to do, but I'm trying to find that right balance, um, with, with the the real job and, and personal life and all that. Um, and so podcasting every week is probably not something that's in the cards this year. So, um, this kind of allowed me to really, get a lot of those pent up thoughts out. Um, and yeah, so I appreciate it. There'll be a lot of, uh, main slate thoughts coming from the Twitter handle this year because I won't be doing the, um, main slate articles like I was doing last year. So it gives me more freedom to just kind of throw out sleepers that I like and, um, smash spots that I like. I'm sure there'll be an Eagles tweet at some point. Um, so yeah, just be on the lookout for all of that. And, and guys, I had a blast tonight. Thanks for bringing me on. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a thing like something like the, the footballers DFS pass is great for new players to kind of have a, a kind of a jumping off point and, and get some understanding of things that different things to think about while you're setting lineups. And then you make kind of the tweaks and uh, Ben, you always have a spot here. If you, if you ha- have a podcast, it's one of these weeks uh, and you want to talk some players, don't, don't hesitate to reach out because uh, we can always uh, squeeze you in so you can get some of these, these fire takes off. Uh, but for Brian Twining, for uh, I'm Kyle Robert, and we'll talk to you guys next time.